Okay. This is definitely one of those mornings where uh, you sense that God is about something because um, the focus of our worship suddenly became about other people as well as ourselves. And we're into the second of our series on the 360-degree gospel, and we're looking at how the good news of the gospel affects every aspect of life. And this week, we're looking at mission. We're looking at the Great Commission of Jesus. Interesting, isn't it, that God brings us on a bit of a journey with our worship this morning about that. And so I think he's got some stuff he wants to say to us. And at the end, actually, we're going to hopefully allow a little bit of time for us to just pray and uh, together, which will be a good thing for us to do. So we're going to read um, from Matthew 28, just a couple of verses right at the end. This is right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, after the resurrection, and Jesus appears to his disciples. It's about the last time that Matthew records that he appears to the disciples before he's taken up into heaven. And it's Matthew 28, verse 18, verse 18 through to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for the way that you've led us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the way that you've led us this morning into your presence, but you've also just again communicated something of your heart for the lost to us this morning, just through our worship. How much you love the lost. And uh, this morning I pray just as we look at very briefly, at this great commission and, and how it is that the good news of the gospel affects us as we bring the good news to other people. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us. Lord, in the midst of our busy lives, we just take this short 20-minute, half-an-hour period to stop and listen. I pray we'd not be sleeping in this period of time. But Lord, in this moment, when you cause us to stop, And when life around us stops for a moment, I pray that for every one of us, Lord, for for me and for every one of us sitting here this morning, I pray you'd give us ears to hear you. Lord, I pray that as passages of your word are read out, they would speak to us. Lord, I pray that if nothing that I say speaks to us, that's fine. But actually, your word is powerful. And we are going to be reading passages of your word. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and ignite our hearts again. To come and speak to us through your holy and precious word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I I don't know how you feel when you hear... Uh, that that great commission being read out. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, um, you have longer to look back on and realise how badly you've done with it. And and, and quite often, if I knew that this was coming up in a series, 
you know, this would be the one that I'd be dreading. Not, not if I was speaking on it, but if I was doing what you're doing, sitting and listening to it, because I think probably uh, there'd be a sense of, oh dear, uh, how badly I do with this, um, unless my name's Donovan. Um, <laughs> but actually, uh, do you know what? I think there is really good news for us uh, about sharing the gospel, even if we don't have the type of personality and character that means that we're at ease with going and talking to anybody. And I want us to look a little bit at that because actually God is, is gracious and loving to us. And so if straight away I want to disabuse you of the feeling of condemnation if you come to this passage and just think, oh, you know, I just do so poorly at this. Because actually the reality is that in everything God calls us to do, we do so poorly at it. That's the reality. We talked last week about holiness and how difficult holiness is and how we look back and the longer we live, the more we realise how unholy we are. And what does God do, to do with us when we realise that? He brings us back to the gospel and says, yeah, I know. I know you aren't very good at that. But you know what? I love you still. I cover it. And, uh, and so when we look at this, I want you to realise that he says the same over you about this as he does about everything else. So, first of all, I want you to take a moment and I want you to say to him, Lord, I know I don't do very well at this. I know I could do so much better. But I also know that your grace covers me and that every day is a new day and that your mercy for me is new every day. And that means that the guilt and the condemnation that the enemy wants to feed my mind with this morning as I come to this passage about sharing your word is done with, for there is no condemnation in Christ. Okay? Okay. So that's the past wiped out. So now let's look at what the Bible helps us with when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. Because... Jesus didn't just say these words and then leave us to it, but actually the Bible is rich with practical advice that helps us with this. I suppose the first thing is to look at this verse. And the last bit of it is probably the bit that encourages me the most. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus gives us that great commission to go out and tell other people, it's not even like sending us out as an ambassador. Now, sometimes Paul refers to himself as an ambassador. And of course, there is a sense in which we are ambassadors. We are going out with the authority of Jesus. Jesus has just said that all authority had been given to him. And we go out with his authority. But he said something even better than that. We don't just go out with his authority. We go out with him. He has said he will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us to the end of the age. And that means that when we look at sharing the gospel and his great commission to us and his command to do it, he tells us not only go and do it with my authority, he says go and do it with my authority and I'm coming too. Because you have my Holy Spirit in you and therefore you take me where you go. And so there is great sense of, for me, there's that, that probably is the most encouraging bit of that verse. 
I'm with you always to the end of the age. That means I take him with me. Uh, even when I face the difficulties of fulfilling that command. I suppose the other thing to say about it is that Jesus says to us, those who love me will obey my commands. And the minute that I forget that, and the minute that I begin to see the Great Commission as another duty that I have to do, and another responsibility that I have, and another thing that I just tend not to be too good at at times, the minute I begin to see it as that is the minute that the condemnation begins and I just give up or I try too hard. But actually, this is another of Jesus' commands to us. And what does he say to us? He says, those who love me will obey my commands. And so if there's one thing that you probably want to pray and ask him for when you look at the Great Commission, yes, it's for opportunities, Yes, it's for wisdom. Yes, it's that I'll say the right thing. Yes, it's that you'll give me courage and make me bold. But perhaps the first thing you have to ask for is, oh, Jesus, I want to love you more. Help me to love you more. Because actually, when I love you more, then it's so much easier to obey your commandments because I'm doing it because I love you. I'm not doing it because it's a duty and I'll get punished if I don't do it and there's judgment for me. I'm doing it because you love me and because I love you. So the first thing to probably ask him for, if this is something that you feel challenged about, is, oh God, Lord Jesus, help me love you more. Put your Holy Spirit in me more so that I love you more and so that then I obey you because I love you and not because I think I should. So let's look at some practical things that I think can help us as we consider the good news about sharing the gospel because it's good news for us as well as for the people we share it with. And the first one I want to talk about is perception. I need to keep my perception in check and particularly how I think about other people. And Paul uh, says this, um, if we could have the next slide um, <clears throat> Ben, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So listen to that again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And he then goes on to talk about the ministry of reconciliation, which is what the gospel is. He talks then about that he's got the ministry of reconciliation, bringing people together, bringing people back to God. But the first thing he says in that paragraph is, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So what's a worldly point of view then? Well, I'll tell you some of the things that go through my head, and I'm going to be really honest here now. Sometimes when I'm not in my church context, but I'm in a context where I'm with unbelievers, particularly if, for example, I'm in the work context or that sort of thing, I can think things like, um, well, here's a worldly point, point of view. Uh, a leopard doesn't change its spots. Okay? That person who's so antagonistic to the gospel, you know what? You know, they're never going to change. A leopard doesn't change their spots is very much a worldly perception. You talk to people about and, they're, and you, they're judging somebody else and you might try and bring in something about, oh, well, no, people can change. But actually a worldly perspective is quite often, no, people don't change. People can't change. People don't change their spots. 
And, you know, I can easily begin to think that about other people too. A worldly perspective would be sometimes that I will even make a judgment call on who I think would respond to the gospel and who's a lost cause. Who wouldn't? I can. I can think, actually, you're nice. You're receptive. You're that sort of personality that listens and gives. And Yeah, you'd, you probably are okay. Yeah, I, I could probably share the gospel with you. You, no hope, absolutely no hope, don't even try. I think about some of my real close friends uh, at work, in the work context. A couple of them who are really strong uh, personalities, one who's an atheist, and I've known her for many years, a holiday with them, and, uh, and I'm guilty of thinking, no point with you, absolutely no point with you, you're not going to change, in fact, you're going to give me a whole load of verbal the minute I try. Um, so actually, a worldly point of view would be that I judge people beforehand about whether, how receptive they're going to be to the gospel. And Paul says, and challenges me on that, and he says, from now on we regard no one with a worldly, from a worldly point of view. Do you know that's challenged me because I've prepared this? I've thought, gosh, how many people I know I look at from a worldly point of view? <coughs> What's another worldly point of view? Another worldly point of view that we can have, and I think, again, I'm guilty of this, is I can look at people and I can think, who's deserving of my attention here? I can really quickly make a judgment call on whether or not I'm going to bother to invest time with you and in you. I don't even mean in terms of sharing the gospel. I just mean my time. I can make that judgment call based on external appearances. And the Bible talks about... Man looks on external appearances and God looks on the heart. Do you know what? We all have a tendency to look on the external appearance. And we can all say, oh, no, no, we really try not to do that, you know, not to judge. But actually, if I'm really honest and I think about those people that sometimes I would just dismiss, it will be based on external appearance. I don't mean it necessarily depends on whether they look attractive or not. But I might look at subconsciously where they're from, what level of education they have, what they're dressed in, whether they've combed their hair this morning. All of those sorts of things we very quickly subconsciously make judgments on, all of us do. And it's worth knowing that that's part of our sinful nature because the Bible tells us that we do it. The Bible says we look on external appearances, God looks on the heart. And, you know, I find myself quoting that to people. No, it's important to look on the heart. But actually, if I look at what I do, I realise how often I will make a judgment on someone based on the external appearance and not on the heart. And that external appearance can also be about how much education they've had and whether they're, what sort of role they have in the, the environment that I'm in. Are they going to be people who are going to be the movers and shakers? What will I get from them? Do you know that's another way I can look at it? Now, if you ask me that, of course I'll say, no, I don't do that. But actually, as I examine myself, I think, do you know, it's so easy for me to think, well, I'll spend time with you because actually you're a bit like me. 
I think actually what I'm going to get from you is good because we'll have a bit of repartee, you know, it's going to be good. We might go out a bit together, you know, I can see, I can see we're going to get on because we're, you know, a bit the same. Or actually you've got a bit of power here and uh, so it, it, it pays me to be on your right side. So actually I'm going to be spending a bit of time with you and that person there doesn't really wield a lot of influence. In fact, actually, quite a lot of the time, they're the one who everyone's a bit annoyed with, you know, they're the awkward one. We all have them in our workplaces, do we not? And uh, so actually, I'll, I'll probably sideline you. I don't really want to be associated too much. Does this sound like a Pharisee to you? Oh, God, how much I realise I am a Pharisee. I am. I view people from a worldly point of view so often. Every now and then, I have these moments of grace. Every now and then, I have these moments of grace, and I think I might have mentioned this lady who, I, who, who was one of the cooks in our school. And I'd never spoken to her, and we had, an, we had a training day, staff training day, and it was the usual setup. We all had lunch together, but people tend to clump, don't they? And so the teachers were clumping together here, and, and the cooks were clumping together over there. And this lady was sitting on her own, she was one of the cooks, and I'd never spoken to her before. And I had one of those grace moments, you know, when you look around and you think, I, I, I want to go and sit there with my mates, but actually I'm going to go and sit over there. It was one of those Holy Spirit whispers and I happened to listen that day. And I went and sat with her and talked with her. And she was, she had one of the most interesting stories I'd heard. She was uh, from an African country. Uh, she had met her husband who was Polish when he had been, uh, he, when he'd gone out to that country, he was... Uh, in the Polish Air Force during the Second World War. And she started telling me all these stories and how they'd got together and she'd been much younger. And he'd pursued her and he'd followed her around the world until she said yes. And, and, and she, what, what is she? She's a cleaner and a cook in my school. And before then, I'd probably just dismissed her. And uh, ever since then, she calls me her brother. She says, you're my brother. And I get presents from her every holiday. <laughs> and I get cake and custard every now and then brought down to me from the school kitchen. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying we do it to get stuff back. <laughs> but, you know, when we do that, he does give back. And, do you know, that was such a salutary lesson for me. You know, that lady is, in the scheme of things, in our organisation, she's the lowest of the low. She's the cleaner and a cook. Her English isn't great. And I had probably dismissed her many, many times before that day when I happened to listen to the Holy Spirit whisper. How often we can do that. Do you know what? I don't want to regard anyone from a worldly point of view anymore. That's what Paul says. Don't regard people from a worldly point of view don't dismiss. See them as individuals who God formed in their mother's womb, whose eyes, his eyes saw their unformed body, who wrote down all the days that were ordained for them in his book, who fearfully and wonderfully made them in his image. Oh, God, help us to see people like that. 
But there's another danger, actually, with seeing people the way the world sees them. And that is that, actually, I can also tend to make a judgment about who needs Christ and who doesn't. I can make that judgment really quickly on the basis of, well, you seem like you've got your life pretty much together. And uh, you're doing okay. Actually, she's a really nice, she's a really nice woman. You know, she's really, really nice. Um, you know, I've seen her with the kids. Oh, it's great. You know, she's a good mum. Oh, life sort of all together for her. It's fantastic. Seems to be, you know, really good. I don't know. And subconsciously, I can make this decision. I'm not sure whether you really need God. And that's a worldly point of view. What's God's perspective on that? God's perspective on that is that one day that person is going to stand before me. And God's perspective is that at the moment, that person is an object of his wrath. I think they've got life together. I think they're quite nice. I think they're fine. But actually, at the moment, they're an object of his wrath. As much as somebody sitting who's committed an awful crime is an object of God's wrath if they're not saved, so is that nice middle-class person sitting over there who's good to their kids and works hard and gives to charity. An object of God's wrath. That's viewing somebody from a worldly perspective. Oh God, I need to be preserved from viewing people from a worldly perspective, whether it is dismissing them or whether it is bigging them up and forgetting that at the moment they are just as in need as the guy whose life is just in the gutter at the moment. I need to keep my perception in check. I need to ask God to help me not to regard anybody from a worldly point of view anymore. Perception. Here's the next one that the Bible talks to me about when I'm thinking about the Great Commission to go out and tell. Be prepared. Preparation. It's okay to do a bit of prep for this. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 3. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer. So it's okay to, for me to think, actually, how am I going to prepare myself to give an answer? And I've thought about this a little bit. Um, I was reading... Uh, um, uh, an Alpha report, actually, funnily enough, I was reading about some uh, people who'd come to Christ through an Alpha course and had written their story down in a little booklet. And I was reading some of the stories, really, really moving. And one woman wrote that the way that she had started her journey to Christ was that she talked to a friend who was another mum, and she said to her, how is it that you always seem to be calm when life is stressful around you. How is it? And this other mum talked about the fact that she actually she trusted God for her life. She, had, she was prepared with an answer for that woman's question. I'll tell you an answer that I don't think particularly helps. If someone says to you, how is it that you stay so calm? Or 
why is it that you just seem so nice? Or, you know, people will sometimes make these sort of broad comments like that. And sometimes we can shy away from answering because we almost feel, oh, it's a bit, oh, you know, it's about me, and so I should just, oh, well, you know, no, I'm not really, and that sort of thing. Or we can say things like, oh, my, my faith helps me. My faith helps me. Do you know what? That's, that's a bit vague. It doesn't always help. It's sometimes helpful for you to just have in your mind, what am I going to say if somebody says something about my life and my lifestyle and questions me on it? What, what am I going to say? And something like saying, you know, I, I just find that, I find that God helps me to trust him in situations like this. I, I just find God helps me to trust him. It's very simple, but it's really clear, isn't it? It's saying, first of all, this isn't about me. It's saying God helps me to trust in him. It's putting everything back to him. It's saying he's the instigator, he helps me, and then he drives me back to him, and I'm able to trust in him. That takes away this sense of, oh, I can't take any praise because, you know, it's a bit about me. No, don't make it about you. You can quite easily make it about him without having to dress it up in lots of spiritual language. Actually, I just find that God helps me to trust in him when I'm in situations like this. That's all you need to say, something like that. But have something prepared in your head beforehand. Because so often we just lose those opportunities because we're not quite sure what to say or we fumble our way through something or we, or, or we just sort of you know, push it away and say, oh, I'm not really like that. So have yourself something that you can say back when people say those sorts of things to you. Always be prepared to give an answer. A short personal story is really powerful. And all of us in here will have short personal stories. And they don't have to be the sort of stories that are about, you know, I was hanging off a cliff edge and suddenly I felt this great strong arm lift me up and put me back on the, you know, on the top. They're simple stuff about everyday life. Have some short personal stories that you can, that you can say. Um, some people talk about, can you, can you, draw, the, the, can you, can you draw diagrammatically the, the picture of salvation on a napkin? You know, some people will, will make sure that they can do things like that. What do I mean by that? Well, it's really simple. If you get into the conversation, if the conversation starts to move, I'm not saying that when someone says to you, why is it you stay, seem to stay so calm, you get out a bit of paper and start to draw a diagram. But if the conversation's moved on and you find yourself trying to share the gospel because they're interested in their asking, then really simple diagrams help. Sometimes the one where you've got, you know, you've got two, two squares like that and you've got God and man and you say, actually, there's this gap in the middle, sin. My, all the stuff I do wrong. And you do the cross in the middle and say, okay, Jesus just makes the bridge through his death. He died so that we could come up, sort of come across. Really simple, really straightforward. Draw it on a napkin. And those sort of things also. Be prepared. Be prepared to give an answer. It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complex. In fact, the simpler it is, the better. Be prepared. One of my, two, 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 two stories, quick stories. Uh, again, I was reading one of the accounts of somebody else in this, who'd been on this Alpha course, and she's actually somebody I know, somebody who, who I work with. 
And uh, in my school, there's, a, there's, another, there's a Christ, another Christian, in fact, there are a number of Christians. And this particular Christian woman, Addis, her name is, she's fearless. She tells everybody about the gospel. She invites them to carol services and alpha courses and all sorts. And uh, she's recently invited a number of staff, and they've gone to a guest service last week. In fact, a number of them went last week. She's always doing this. And one of the stories in this Alpha book is from one of the teachers in my school who Addis prayed for in the car park because she had an exam coming up. That was the first encounter that she had. Well, she had an exam coming up, and Addis, like Addis does, said, oh, let me pray for you. She prayed for her in the car park. What that led to was, was over time, talks and conversations and why don't you come to an Alpha course? And it led to salvation. It led to this woman being now deeply, thoroughly involved in church life through a prayer in a car park. And uh, I think there must be something about car parks. A few months ago, I uh, met somebody, uh, a neighbour uh, who lives close to the place where I work, looked really, really ill. And I met him on the garage forecourt. And he was just telling me how he'd had a heart trouble and just out of hospital. And, uh, and you, you know, I got that, sp- that moment that you get, are you, are you going to pray for him or are you not? And you get this very quick discussion with God, don't you? But I'm on a garage forecourt. It's going to look really, really weird if I now pray for this man on the garage forecourt because all the cars are coming in to fill up with petrol. And there might be somebody I know who will drive in. And you have this quick discussion, fortunately, again, it was another of those times when I was sensitive enough to listen and obey. And I prayed for this guy on a garage forecourt. And he came into school a couple of weeks later. And uh, he, he had some other stuff to say because he was objecting about something that was happening at school. But, um, but he, he referred to back to it. He said, I was so appreciative of the way you, you prayed for me. And, and who knows? I don't know whether that will go anywhere. But I threw out a seed. It was so simple, do you know? It was so easy. It wasn't actually embarrassing as I thought it was going to be. It opened up an opportunity. He was grateful for it. Do you know, most people, if you offer to pray for them, a whole heap of people will say yes. They do. We think they're going to say no. We think they're going to object. And of course, some of them will. But actually, a whole load of people, if they're in trouble, and you say, would you like me to pray for you? I do believe there's a God that that can intervene in these sorts of circumstances, most people will say yes. So easy to do. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you about the hope that you profess. Do you know one other thing about that? Sometimes we can think, oh, and so I need to prepare, I better have a few stories written down and I'll have a tract in my pocket. And, all, and I'm not saying that none, that sort of stuff isn't helpful. But there's a hugely reassuring thing that Jesus said to the disciples. He said this. When you're brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry how you'll defend yourself or what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Okay, he'll teach you what to say. If you're open to him, he'll teach you what to say. You don't need to be 100% prepared because the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say and when to say it. Okay, let's look at one other thing then. Presence. Just being present sometimes is enough. The Bible talks, Jesus talks about us being salt and light. 
And Paul in Corinthians says this, he says, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. And spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Sometimes just because you're there, it spreads his fragrance. Just being present with the values that he's instilled in you, with the Holy Spirit who's in you, Sometimes it's just being present, that you're being salt and light. And you might not be saying anything explicit at all, but sometimes God will use the fact that you are just present somewhere and that you are bringing his fragrance into a situation or a workplace or wherever it is. He will use that to draw people to himself. Because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, Jesus says that he came to seek and save the lost. He will draw. And he will draw them to you so that they will perhaps begin to ask those questions about why is it that you seem to be at peace when there's redundancies coming up everywhere? Why is it that you're at peace? Why is it that you seem okay about this? I don't, I don't know how it is. You're spreading the fragrance of Christ and they're drawn to you. And so just being somewhere sometimes is enough. But that verse does also go on to say that amongst those who aren't being saved, we can be a rather unpleasant smell. So sometimes don't, don't be worried or frightened or discouraged if actually you find there's a bit of antagonism to the way you are. Someone says to you, you need to be tough. Actually, you need to be harder. Do you know, I get that a couple of times. I've had that a couple of times. You need to be harder with people. Okay. It, it, do I really need to be? Oh, gosh, okay. Well, it's good for me to examine myself and think, you know, am I too much of a soft touch here when I'm managing people and I'm doing my job? Am I being too much of a soft touch? Is there, do I need to be a bit more honest? Okay, let me look at that. But actually, if someone's saying, no, you need to be harder on people. You need to be a bit tougher. You need to tell them how it is. Is that just actually some antagonism against the gospel? It may be. And you need to weigh up. Is that right? Am I being, or actually is this a bit of antagonism against the fragrance of the Lord Jesus? Because to some, this, this will be a fragrance, but to others, actually, it will be a bad smell. So be prepared for it. Don't be discouraged by it. Sometimes you will face a bit of that opposition because you're bringing his fragrance and the enemy doesn't like it. So if it does happen, don't be hugely discouraged by that. You are bringing his fragrance. If you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, you're bringing his fragrance, but sometimes people will interpret that as not a nice smell. Most of the time we hope that it will be fragrant, but for those who aren't being saved, it's not always the case. But don't be discouraged by it. Jesus tells us to expect it. And Paul tells us in that passage to expect it. Around that idea of presence, though, <clears throat> there's something that I think I'm really, really bad at. It's letting God interrupt my day. So we all have busy lives and busy agendas. And one of the things that I'm really poor at is allowing him to interrupt me in the middle of that. So I'll give you an example. Um, now I have, there's a lady in school in my, where I work 
who likes to talk a lot. She likes to talk a lot, and uh, she's had a number of operations that she likes to tell me about and all those sorts of things. And, you know, there are days when I just think, I, you know, I, don't, I haven't got time, I'm not going to want to listen to it. But I've felt convicted about that a number of times and just thought, actually, my agenda can wait. Because sometimes God wants to interrupt our day. If you think about the people who Jesus dealt with, quite often they were people who were on the roadside as he was walking from one place to another. They were people who called out, Son of man, have mercy on me. They were blind and people, beggars sitting by the you know, roadside. And he didn't walk past. He had his agenda, but he stopped. He allowed his day and his agenda to be interrupted. I'm really, really poor at that. Because actually, I want to get on. I've got loads to do. I've got a meeting this evening that I need to get to as well. So I want to get all my schoolwork done within the allotted hours because I want to get to that worship team meeting at 7.30 or whatever it is. And because of that, so often, you know, I don't allow my day to be interrupted by him. What I'm doing by doing that is almost sometimes saying that this part of my life here is my working life, and I do this so that I get enough money to be paid, and so that also I can leave as quickly as I can to go and do my church stuff. So actually, the people I'm bumping into here, in this context, are not quite as important to me as you are. Do you know, I'm not sure that Jesus says that. I'm not sure that that's what Jesus would say. No, I'm not saying that, you know, I don't want to give myself to you and to serve you and that I'm going to use every opportunity to find a, a reason why not to be at the worship team meeting. But I am saying that actually I need to be much more prepared for him to interrupt my day. Because actually, it's those people. It's those people that need me more than you do. Do you know that? You've already got him. They haven't. But I won't let them interrupt my day because I've got my agenda. And part of my agenda is getting all this done so that I can be here. And of course, that's partly what we're called to do, and I know that. And I wouldn't want the balance to be interrupted. And I also am aware that we're all paid to do a job when we're at work. We can't spend all our day chatting and drinking tea with people. I know that too. But I also know that my tendency is not to let God interrupt my day. But the times when he does and I listen and I actually let him interrupt my day are often the times of huge blessing, like the lady who I sat and had lunch with. God interrupted my day and I allowed him to that day. There are so many times when I don't. Do you know what? I want to be more willing for him to interrupt my day. I want to be more like the Lord Jesus who allowed people to interrupt him from his agenda. I want to be like him who notices someone up in a tree and calls them down and decides, no, actually, I'll go to your house. I'm supposed to be going there, but I'm coming to you. Yeah? I want to let him interrupt my day. Allow him to interrupt your day. It may just be a God moment. Prayerfulness. And this is the last thing that I just want to talk about a little bit. Prayerfulness. 
1949, there were two elderly ladies called Peggy and Christine Smith. And they lived on an outer Hebridean Scottish island called Lewis, the Isle of Lewis. And they became gripped by the fact that no young people were going to church anymore. The churches in the Hebridean Islands were just full of old people. And they became gripped by this. And there was a particular verse uh, that gripped them. And it was this verse, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And they were, one of them was 82 and the other one was 84. One of them was completely blind and the other one was bent over with arthritis. But these ladies decided to begin to pray. They set aside two nights to pray a week and they'd start at 10 o'clock at night and they'd go through till three or four in the morning. They were 82 and 84, okay? And they began to pray. And then they felt that they should call together some of the elders of the church to pray as well. And so they called together some of the elders of the church to pray. And so these elders began to pray on the same nights as they did. They didn't pray with the old ladies in their cottage. They prayed somewhere else, but they prayed on the same nights and at the same time. And they prayed for about a month and a half, two nights a week, between about 10 in the, 10 in the evening and about 3 in the morning. And that was the start of what was called the Hebridean Revival. It was started off by two old ladies praying. And a man called Duncan Campbell came over to lead some revival meetings based on the fact that these two old ladies had started to pray and they'd had, one of them had had a vision of the church filled with young people and, a, and an, a, an unknown preacher standing at the front. And then subsequently, they actually got the name. They said, oh, we think there's a man called Duncan Campbell you should invite to come. And so they did this. They invited this man, Duncan Campbell, to come. And before he arrived, the island uh, went through this experience where, where people would just sense the presence of God. They weren't Christians, but there was a sense of the presence of God on the island. And Duncan Campbell arrives, and the elders meet him at the docks, and they say to him, well, we'll we're, before we know you're tired, you've had a long journey, but actually we've got some people in the church building, and we wonder if you would just come and lead a meeting. And so he gets to the church building, and it's 9 o'clock, and there's about 300 people in there. And he recounts that he led this meeting, and it seemed, seemed okay, you know, it was a good meeting, they sensed the presence of God. And as he's walking down the aisle, he's walking out with a young man who's one of the deacons, who's one of the people who was praying, who'd been praying with that group of elders. And this guy, in the, as they're walking down the aisle to leave, falls to his knees and says, God, you promised you'd come. You promised you'd come. You promised you'd come. And you haven't. You promised you'd come. And then, and he falls to the ground, slain in the spirit. And then someone comes in at the back of the door and says, Dr. Campbell, there are 600 people out here. And 600 people had been irresistibly drawn to this little chapel. And so now, all of a sudden, there's not 300, there's 900. 
And that was the beginning of the Hebridean revival that swept through those Hebridean islands. And I watched a, a little video clip of a lady, a quite elderly lady now, who'd been saved during that Hebridean revival. And she said that she was utterly resistant to it. She said, I didn't want to go. She said, my parents got saved at it. I came home because I was on the mainland. I came home because they were ill. And, but I didn't want anything to do with this revival. I didn't want to go. In the end, I, I just went out of curiosity. I went and I still didn't want to go. I didn't want to go back. But something irresistibly drew me. And when you read about the Hebridean revival, you read that God, by his spirit, just irresistibly drew people to himself. It's an amazing story. If you get the chance to read it or to hear any of these old video clips of people who are actually there, then do it. There's one great quote from Duncan Campbell himself talking about some of these meetings that people just arrived at. He said, nothing in the way of publicity, no mention of a special effort except uh, an, an intonation from the pulpit on the Sunday that a certain man was going to be conducting a series of meetings. It'd be like us saying, oh, we've got someone visiting next week. So nothing else, no other publicity was sent out. But God took the situation in hand and he became his own publicity agent. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in revival. He becomes his own publicity agent. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. I can do loads of stuff. I can, I can be aware of my, my, my mental perception about people. I can make sure I've got myself prepared with the sentences I might use or the tract that I'm going to bring out. I can do all that stuff, but actually, if I don't pray, it ain't going to work. God calls us to be prayerful about this. That's why I love this morning in worship where we were stirred to be prayerful about it where we were stirred to say thank you to God for the person who prayed for you that you'd be saved. Because nearly every one of us, there'll be someone out there who prayed that you would come through. I know who it was for me. Most of you will know who it was for you. Somebody prayed. That's partly why you're here. And we need to pray. We do. We need to pray and to be prayerful. And... Uh, we're going to take just a few minutes to do that in just a moment. We've not got long, as we've got to be out of here by, by sort of 10 past 12. So we're just going to take a few minutes in a moment to pray. To pray that God will help us to share the Great Commission. To pray that he'll help us not to view people from a worldly point of view any longer. To pray that his spirit will draw people irresistibly to himself. And Matt's going to come up and play. And while we're praying, there's, there's two other things I want to quickly mention to you. The first is that um, on Thursday, you may have heard that a 15-year-old guy was stabbed by a 14-year-old girl uh, on a local estate, killed. And so it, it would be good to pray, to pray for those families that good will come out of ill, to pray for that girl, to pray for the family of the young man who's been killed to pray that the church does its job, that the church rises in this area to become salt and light. So I'd like to pray for that.
And then before you finish, I'd like to pray for Fumi, who's in hospital at the moment, um, not very well, and that God will be with her, that he'll bring healing to her body. And uh, I'll probably email you and just let you know some more details uh, after I've been to see her this afternoon.